Welcome back to the Major Journey Podcast. Today's guest has over 25 years of experience focused on book publicity, brand and thought leadership development, relationship building, and consulting related to the publishing industry. He is the former president of one of the country's largest book PR agencies where he built strong relationships throughout the publishing industry and worked with hundreds of best-selling authors across all genres. He's a strong believer in partnership versus vendorship and works with his clients to customize the most appropriate and efficient campaigns based on their goals, needs, and budgets. He's been a featured speaker at a number of publishing conferences and is well-respected for his knowledge of the industry. And so without further ado, David Ratner, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. Thanks. Great to be here. Appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. I mean, we've been working together and collaborating in a various amount of ways over the past couple of years. So it's cool to be able to do this and sit down and kind of pick your brain and, you know, learn a little bit about your journey throughout the publishing space and how you even got started in it to begin with. Absolutely. Happy to uh, answer those questions. And yeah, we've got a nice history and I watch you grow your business, which is exciting to see as well. I appreciate that. Thank you. So yeah, David, if, if we just kind of take it back to the top, how exactly did you get started in publishing? And what did that journey kind of look like to bring you to where you are today? Sure. So th the journey is, it's its not really a very exciting story and, and not one that you demographically can relate to. But back in the day, you know, when you know, I graduated, went to Emory University, I was a history major, I originally thought maybe I was going to go to law school. And then decided, you know, I didn't want to to go to school for three more years. And so you start the job search. And I just happened to answer one of those small ads in the paper that, again, nobody's looking for jobs in newspapers mm -hmm. anymore. But uh, I did and went and interviewed with a guy who uh, was running a, a small business that was focused on book PR. I really knew nothing about books. I really knew nothing about publicity, but it sounded interesting to me. And, you know, fortunately, I was a good talker and was able to, you know, get myself into the job. And um, it just kind of took off from there. I had a fast track within the company. Um, I would say within a few years was in a senior position and maybe after five years, you know, became president of the company and helped grow it from a, maybe a four or five person organization up to a 25 person organization and, and working with all the leading publishers providing a variety of publicity services. Um, so yeah, that's, it was just one of those happenstance kinds of things. It was not necessarily an intentional journey. I got you. Okay, cool. And so were you there pretty much for most of your career before you started up your own firm? So I spent 18 years there, um, you know, helping to build and grow it and then um, made a transition uh, at the end where I, you know, the company was struggling a little bit and we had some great people, but I think they were also kind of struggling within it. Uh, and so it, it just, came time for me to try to do something else. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do, um, but uh, just kind of morphed into a business. I had some clients uh, who were about to sign up at the other company, and I just didn't feel good about them spending money there at, at that time and said, look, I can still get this done for you under a different umbrella. They said, great. So I hired my first freelancer, uh, somebody who I'd known for a long time within the industry, and she handled the campaign. And then I was very fortunate to have built a lot of good relationships in the industry and would get emails from folks or calls from folks say, hey, how do we still work with you? We liked working with you. And so I kind of built a, a different model um, where I don't have full-time employees, but I have full-time partners and I'm able to orchestrate campaigns for a variety of different genres with senior level people who have different strengths in different areas. And um, it, it's grown from there. And uh, it's, it's been a great, great journey for me and the best decision I ever made. 
That's fascinating. And I, I, so I'm curious, like even, even when you were working for the company that you first got started out with for that 18 year period, how would you say, cause you were still at an executive level. So how would you say the day-to-day changed for you when you were in that role in that situation versus now kind of running your own ship and being in charge yep. of, you know, quote unquote, everything and not maybe not necessarily having, you know, another person to kind of look to for advice and you kind of, you know, being the one to to steer the ship. How, how did that dynamic change for you? Yeah, it, it actually became a lot easier in a lot of ways. I mean, because I felt mm-hmm. like when I was running the company, there was a lot more to manage, right? And including a boss, uh, including, you know, things worrying about the space that you were in, payroll, you know, right. all of these things that are bringing in business. So wearing a lot of hats. And then there were times where I felt like, I just wasn't getting to do the job really well because I was doing so many jobs. And and even though we had great people, it, it just oftentimes it just felt like they were overwhelmed. Um, and so one of the decisions that I made when I decided to transition out of the business was to really make sure that I worked with people who were senior level, who had really good experience in the work that they were doing, who didn't really need my management. I would be there for them in whatever capacities they needed me, but these were people that I trusted and who do a great job at what they do. So for me, it allowed me to focus on the things that I really enjoyed focusing on, which is going out and developing relationships with clients, um, strategizing campaigns, building partnerships with different kinds of vendors, people like yourself, who we we Mm -hmm. did a lot of work together in the social media space prior to the work that you're doing. Uh, And it really brought a tremendous enjoyment back into the job for me. It also came at a time where my wife was building her own business and we had three kids at home and I was able to spend a lot more time with the kids um, because I kind of can work my own hours. I can get up at seven in the morning and answer 20 emails and then take time off. So I would get to go to their sporting events and things along those lines and help uh, allow her to build her business at the same time. So the, the timing ended up being really, really good. And, um, you know, something that uh, I, I only say, I wish I did it five years earlier, but other than that, it's, it's been great. That's awesome. And so I know, as you know, as well, a lot of the listeners to the show are in the cannabis industry. And so, yep. um, lots and lots of subject matter experts in their own particular verticals and lanes and niches. And one of the, one of the topics of conversation that comes up a lot of times is, you know, Hey, what's the, what's the value or what's the ROI out of putting out a book, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, is it for the residuals? Is it for the book sales or how how is it that, you know, that I could necessarily incorporate this into my business to help bring it from one level to the next. Absolutely. So you've been working with dozens and dozens or hundreds and hundreds of of yep. SMEs over the years, thought leaders, authors, speakers, yep. uh, executives, folks like that. And so how have you seen some of the more successful folks incorporate a book into their overall business strategy versus yep. the folks who are about to put out a book, but then just kind of you know fall flat on their face because they thought of it in the completely wrong yep. way? Yeah, that's one of the things I put on my uh, you know website. I used to put on there. You wrote the book. Now what? And there's a lot of people who are in that now. Now what do I do? Kind of phase. Right. But to me, books are one of, if not the best piece of brand equity that someone can have, because the beauty of books is that as a product, books get a free pass because they're information, they're education to a certain extent, they're entertainment, and so they are a great way to introduce the author and their business to the various audiences they want to target. So it's much easier to promote Mike and his business under the auspices of a book 
versus mm-hmm. some new training that they're selling, some new product that they're selling, some new service that they're offering, which are things that are quote unquote for sale. Even though a book is a, a consumerized item, it, it is that tool that um, provides a great umbrella to promote that thought leadership and that knowledge. And then we always, once we work with a client, um, we always tell them to think holistically, right? They don't just have to uh, want to talk about what's in the pages, what's in between the pages of their book. I mean, we really want to know what's in between their ears. Um, and, and so the book in, in some ways is just that shiny piece of eye candy that opens doors to create opportunities. Um, you know, look, there there are some people who write books for profit. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to do these days because the, the competition for information is so vast. I mean, you want to learn about anything, throw it into Google and you're going to get 8 million entries about it, right? right. So you want to learn something about the cannabis industry, you just throw it into Google, you're going to find out. But but that book provides a tool for people to get into, whether it be the cannabis trades, the business trades of Forbes or a Fortune or a Fast Company or entrepreneurial trades or other places that your target audience may be. And your target audience could be a reader, but it could be somebody who's looking to hire a consultant, or you maybe use the book as a lead for a sales funnel into courses that you have or other businesses that are offshoot ROI driven uh, functions that, that, you know, the, the book feeds into. And then there's really cool and creative things you can do with books today. You can do digital marketing campaigns. You can now get involved with influencer campaigns. If you want your book to be a, a, an Amazon bestseller or a Wall Street Journal bestseller, there are ways to create those opportunities out there and, and impact, um, you know, your brand and your thought leadership. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting that you say all of that, because I recently had a conversation with Andrew Ward, a very prominent reporter for the cannabis space, and he actually he ended up publishing two books. And I, when I when I was spoke with him about this, I asked him, I said, you know, what was kind of the biggest change or transformation that happened in your career after the books? And very, very similarly to what you just said, he said, you know, at first I thought, OK, the money would come in from this. But he said the complete opposite happened. It wasn't a money play, but the brand equity play and the authority and the trust and the the, the credibility that came from having something that I penned and authored and, and had published was really like, it was a pleasant surprise for him. And so I think that's where a lot of folks kind of um, don't necessarily see the value in it right off the rip. But then I think post-publication, once they start having those conversations, like you said, they may be able to gift a book and that sort of turns into like a little bit of a business development play as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, like I, that's what you're yeah, saying. I tell my clients to get, you, you may give away as many books as you do sell, right? It's your new business card. And, you know, the way that I look at it is that no matter what you're trying to sell, whether it's a cannabis product, whether it's a, a consulting service, you know, or, or something along those lines, the, the process is a puzzle, right? And so marketing is a piece of the puzzle. Sales is a piece of the puzzle. Social is a piece of the puzzle. Newsletters, networking, all of these different things are parts of that. And publicity is a piece of the puzzle. And what I like to think is that publicity is a piece that sits in the middle of all those other pieces. Because every link that we get to you, whether it's to a podcast, to an article, a review, or what have you, becomes shareable through your social channels, through your marketing channels, through your sales channels, through your newsletters and everything else. So we're, we're giving you assets that amplify and then giving you those assets to re-amplify through your own channels. Um, and, and that's the way you can you know, broaden your network and, and sort of cement your authority um, in your space. 
Yeah. And I'm so happy you brought that up because I tell folks all the time, anytime there's a great quality backlink to a website, such as, I mean, you know, you can have the very, very specific industry trade publications, or you can have a Forbes or a Rolling Stone, a more national, more prominent piece. But those, those domains that have really high domain authority rankings, I mean, if there's a backlink in there and then you throw that back on your website, you share it in your social media, the you're, you're chipping away at your SEO efforts so that's beautifully. Right. That's right. And that's just one piece of the puzzle, just like you that's said. Right. Publicity just, it kind of sits in the middle of all these things and yep. helps amplify it so well. Yep. And it's kind of, it's a little bit of a, of a Swiss army knife in, yep. in a way, if you think about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it, it, it's, again, I think it's a wonderful tool. Uh, and, and again, the book is just that great source. And look, it, it's, it's not easy to write a book, to sit down and write a book, but it can be easy depending on how you want to go about it, right? Today, you can find ghostwriters. Today, you know, it used to be 15, 20 years ago, everybody wanted to be an author. But mm -hmm. today, by hook or crook, everybody can be an author. You know, Amazon has, has made it that easy that you can publish through them. And, and the whole publishing industry has gone through a pretty sizable disruption in the sense that the whole publishing world used to revolve around traditional publishing. And the biggest advantage that a traditional publisher could offer, among other things, among editorial and design and, and, and all those other things, which are great, was distribution, right? Getting books into mm -hmm. bookstores. And uh, Amazon and, you know, and barnesandnoble.com and Kobo and other places like that have completely leveled the playing field. So now everybody has distribution. So, and, and, and huge portions of books, I don't know what the exact percentages are, but I would, I'm guessing it's well over 50% of books are bought online today versus from the brick and mortar stores. And, and the math just never worked because every year, even during difficult times from 2008 and, and COVID and other, there's more and more books being produced every year. And every year there's less and less shelf space for them. I mean, when you think, I don't know how long ago it now it was probably 10, 15 years ago when borders shut their doors right? Borders was the second largest book retailer in the world. Well, that's millions and millions of books that don't have shelf space to sit on because those stores don't exist anymore. Sure. And then you had a lot of uh, independent bookstores who kind of got their butts kicked when, when Amazon came out. And so there's just not enough shelf space, but you know, Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble provide that for everybody. And then when going back to the publishing process, you know, a lot of people today either self-publish or work with what's what are called hybrid publishers. You know, some still going the traditional route. Traditional still great. Uh, really depends on what your primary goals and objectives are in in the end. Yeah. So you brought up a great point. So I wanted to ask because a, a lot of folks have been have been curious about this as well. What are some of the main differences, or maybe pros and cons, might be a better way to put it, of going of trying to get an agent. Uh, get hooked up with a with a big time publisher, a traditional publishing house, versus taking a self publishing route or maybe even like a hybrid style publishing route. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the, the advantages of traditional are, uh, you know, you've got some brand equity with some of these imprints for sure. Uh, second, you're not taking money out of your pocket, right? To to, mm -hmm. to pay for to get published, and in many, you know, for some authors, you're actually getting paid, right? Which is obviously a nice thing. I mean. You know, it's a small percentage that are making big money, getting big money advances. And it's now coming pretty much from a select group of, you know, the big, you know, houses, Harper, Simon, Random, et cetera. Um, you know, finding an agent these days is very difficult because agents really want to take on books where they think they can make money on. Uh, and, and, and then the agents have to find, and sometimes agents will take on something very enthusiastically 
and find there's not a big market for them out in, in, in the publishing space. So the options of, of self-publishing and hybrid publishing take a lot of that work out of it. Uh, you with, with hybrid or self-publishing, you, you maintain complete control. You know, if you're working with a traditional publisher and they say, well, we, we, we don't really like chapter 13. We want to take that out. But chapter 13 is your favorite chapter in the book. Well, it's up to them because they now own the property, right? Whereas if you hybrid or self-publish, you have control of the content. Um, for certain books, I say, I work with a lot of business authors, as you know, and, and so the onus of sales really, the burden of sales really falls on the authors themselves. Publishers don't spend a lot of money to promote books these, these days, unless you're in that top 5% of publishers. Right. So a lot of them choose to hybrid publish because they're going to make significantly more on each book sale, right, from a royalty rate. And if they're going to be the ones that are going to go sell it, well, why shouldn't they make more from it? Um, and and there are some really good uh, hybrid publishers out there. I mean, you know, that's the interesting thing, right? You can self-publish for next to nothing. And then there are hybrid publishers that maybe you'll spend five or $10,000 with. And there are hybrid publishers you can spend up to $100,000 with. So it, it, there is something at every level for everybody. Uh, some people just want to put out a book because they want to put it out as a legacy piece. And so they can just self-publish it on Amazon. They don't care about promoting it, but they can hand it to their kids and their grandkids and all that. And that's that's a wonderful thing for them to be able to do. And then others are using it as a tool for, um, you know, brand equity. I think there are others who have uh, illusions or delusions of, of <laughs> grandeur when it comes to writing books. I mean, it's really hard to sell books these days. Um, that's that's really a, it's just a big challenge. Yeah. No, that's that's super interesting and, and helpful as far as the breakdown of the different publishing routes to to take. And you made an interesting point as well. Like, if you're going to end up doing all the work and and selling everything, why do you need a toll taker if all if they're not necessarily going to be doing much of the work? And I I even recall like whenever we would collaborate too, a lot of the publishing houses they wouldn't necessarily do much publicity or PR work after the book launch. And so a lot of times folks would want to bring on an outside firm or an, or an outside specialist to help support because there wouldn't really be much even leading up to the to the to the pub date, right? Is that yeah, still absolutely. how it works? A absolutely. I mean, you know, again, there if you're a bigger book with a bigger house, they're going to take care of you. But um look, 95% of my clients are author-driven clients, not publisher-driven clients. I'm not getting mm -hmm. hired by publishers anymore. Back in the day, prior to 2008, publishers were spending money left and right. Okay, they would radio tours and TV satellite tours and all these other things. And then, you know, when the market crashed, publishers went through a real humbling and uh, belt tightening and fat trimming uh, process. And, um, you know, it, it's 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 changed. I mean, the landscape has also changed tremendously because of the, you know, the growth of the Internet and, and the sources of information, you know, pre-Internet. You know, if you got somebody on the Today Show or Good Morning America or, you know, Oprah or these kinds of places, you knew you were going to move serious copies. Today, it's so in a, in a good way, in a bad way. Right. In, in the good way, there's so many media outlets and so many places that are, are, are starving for information that you can always find places to to generate coverage for your book and your brand and your thought leadership, and all those other things. But in some ways, it's also become very diluted. Right. And, and so there are very few sure things these days. I mean, we've had authors on the Today Show where it's, you know, obviously done tremendous and others where it's barely moved the needle. Um, and, and so it's it's just a much more challenging environment for impact, not one where you can still generate the coverage and you can still establish that authority, help with SEO, generate all that shareable content. But it's not necessarily going to sell lots of books. I tell my clients, most of my clients that they say, you know, 
if they ask me how many books they're going to sell, I'll say, well, let's let's start with the fact that you might not sell a single copy. So are the services that I'm going to provide you and the results we are going to generate value to you, valuable to you beyond that? If yes, mm-hmm. let's continue the conversation. If no, let's talk about a really conservative approach that, you know, may, you know, where there's a lot less risk involved for spending big money with potential smaller return. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's a really transparent way to look at it too. And I was also gonna, gonna ask you too. So for, for those who, let's say they're right at the beginning of the process, right? They've, they've done the research, they've got the expertise under their belt, they've given several keynote speeches, um, you know, they're, they're sort of viewed as an expert in their particular niche in, in, a, in a given industry. And they're at that crossroads where they're like, you know what, I think I'm ready to, to start the process of writing a book. Are there maybe, you know, one or two or three questions that you recommend every, we'll call them subject matter experts, to ask themselves prior to starting that journey to make sure that they make the right decision and, and go forward on a path that makes most sense to them? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, the, the, the first question for me is the why. Why am I writing this book? What is mm-hmm. my primary objective? So is it about trying to sell books? Is it about trying to establish authority? You know, that sort of thing. I think understanding your why, I think understanding your why in anything in life is is really important, but certainly when you're writing a book. Um, And then thinking about, you know, parameters. How quickly do I want to do this? You know, what what are my priorities? Now I've established my why. How do I prioritize? What what are my priorities within that? Do I want to get this done quickly because it's timely and it's important to my business or my thought leadership? And so that might drive me to a hybrid or self-publishing model. Or is this something where, look, I really want to try to take this the traditional route, find an agent and all that, where you're going to have to have be a lot more patient. Because, you know, if you wanted to go the self-publishing or hybrid route and you've got that, once you get that book done, you can turn it around, you know, in weeks or months. If you go the traditional route, you might not have a, a you, by the time you find an agent, they go out and find a publisher, the publisher gets into the catalog, you could be 24 months later, right? So it, it's really understanding your why and what your priorities are in there. Um, and then, you know, if you want to do a good job, you know, look for experts, you know, find find editors, you know, and, and don't just go to people in your network to read it because everybody's going to tell you, you did a great job, right? Nobody wants to tell somebody the bad news. Um, and, and, and so that's why getting third party opinions from people who are in the industry or experts at what they do, whether it's, you know, editing or formatting or other things is really important as well. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's great advice right there. David, anything else you want to, you want to share? Um, if people want to get in touch with you and, and reach out, what's the best way for them to, to do so? Yeah, absolutely. They can go to my website, which is simply ratnerpr.com, R-A-T-N-E-R-P-R.com. And, um, no, I, I really enjoyed this and and um you know I, again I, i'm just a big advocate for what books can do for you know certain you know certain people like candidly i don't get involved in the fiction world anymore mm-hmm. it's just too difficult to navigate uh and a lot of it is you know if, if especially if you're self-published or hybrid there's still some some barriers that are up that make it challenging to promote there are definitely things that you can do and, and some unique things that are happening these days with influencer marketing and those kinds of things but uh in, in the nonfiction space I, I think there's opportunity for everybody and um happy to chat with people if they ever want to talk awesome well david thank you again for your time and all the insights it was super helpful um that'll do it for this week's episode of the major journey podcast we will catch you all next time thank thanks for listening to today's show To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 
Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects Network. Network.